Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. We are MODIS, and we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, a new enclave and our refuge from the world above. Please, take your time and look around. The Colonel has made great strides restoring this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Greetings, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. Even as the new enclave expands its influence and faces down new threats, the realities of the wasteland now pose an even greater challenge. The great factories and industrial complex which created and supported the technology which gave the Colonel an edge over the other factions in the region no longer exists. Hard decisions are on the horizon. However, the other residents of Vault 76 have been busy with their own plans. The Morgantown settlement has become a shining beacon of hope that rebuilding is possible and that they are ready to take the next step towards a better future. And in Flatwoods, the new responders have risen from the ashes of the old. Their mission remains the same, help the people of Appalachia. This work has not gone unnoticed, and the colonel casts her eye to that small town as well. Good morning, members. Duty rosters and new field assignments are now available in operations. As a reminder, the distribution of plasma weapons and ammunition now require authorization from team leads. Additional bounties on copper circuits and fiber optics have been approved by the colonel. Please see the duty officer for additional details. The special at the commissary this week is Yagwai stew and roasted razor green souffle. Dr. Harefield wants to remind everyone to schedule their annual exam. Healthy members are happy members. God bless the new enclave and God bless America. Protect and serve. Of our power armor inventory, we have eight Black Devil variants which are fully functional, two which require repair, and two more which aren't good for much more than spare parts. We do have four suits of the original X-01 power armor. While not as good as the upgraded versions, they are still very effective. What about our production facility? We can build additional chassis, but it's the high-tech components we don't have. They were in short supply to begin with, and it was doubtful we'd ever be able to keep up with operational losses. Modus, you've analyzed the captain's data and your own inventory. What's our overall situation? Colonel, we have calculated that, at our current rate of expenditure, we will exhaust our supply of circuitry and sensor modules in 93 days. Our ability to manufacture plasma cartridges is compromised by the current copper shortage. I've already ordered the operatives to switch over to the service rifles modus. Plasma weapons for priority assignments only. That will help, Colonel, but we're still running a deficit on most of our raw materials. We've already scrapped most of what we can from the grounds and offered more caps to the caravans and local scavengers, but it just isn't enough. Reynolds, you're in charge of logistics. I expect that you'll find ways to make up for our shortfalls. Or I'll find someone who can. Yes, Colonel, we'll we'll redouble our efforts. Dismissed, Captain Captain Reynolds wiped his brow and gathered his reports before hurrying out of the colonel's office. Valeria watched him go, 
painting an imaginary target on his back. We calculate that the captain will be unable to rectify our supply concerns. I know, Modus, but it helps to put the fear of me in him. It's far past time to deal with him, but we're short-staffed as it is, and despite the past, he has done his job. We agree, Colonel. That said, it doesn't change our circumstances. It's been our access to pre-war tech that has given us the advantage. If we lose that, we'll have to reevaluate our plans. That would be... unfortunate, Colonel. Go back through the archives, Modus. There should still be old stockpiles we can access, or enclave sites which we haven't secured yet. They may be further afield than we'd like, but I don't see how we have a choice. Of course, Colonel. Valeria turned off the terminal and leaned back in her chair, staring at the ceiling. She knew the bunker's resources weren't infinite, but they were running out of supplies much faster than expected. Something about the whole situation bothered her. Valeria made a note to double-check the inventory files. It was one thing if they were truly running low on what they needed, but it would be something else if someone was stealing from them. Come! One of the orderlies opened the door and entered, standing at attention and giving the colonel a salute. Colonel, we've received a message from Morgantown. Major Stein said we should deliver it to you immediately. Problems, Private? No, ma'am. It's an invitation. An invitation? From whom? Captain... I mean, Mayor Edwards. Mayor? Well, that's certainly new. All right, Private, hand it over. Yes, ma'am. The orderly handed Valeria the invitation, saluted again, and left the office. This should be interesting. Colonel Valeria Faustina, it is with great pleasure that we invite you to the official coronation ceremony of... Vault Town. This is the name that we, the residents of the settlement at the former Morgantown Airport, have decided to christen our rapidly growing town. Without your assistance and protection, we would not have the thriving community we have today. Beyond attending the ceremony, we would ask you to say a few words at the event. A list of activities we have planned is included below. Please RSVP at your earliest convenience. Below there was a list of events, including a bake-off, a moot fruit pie eating contest, a field day for the children, Brahmin racing, and more. At the very bottom of the invitation was a handwritten note, signed by Captain, now Mayor Edwards himself. Valeria, I do hope you accept, and we look forward to seeing you again. Smiling, Valeria put the invitation on her desk. Morgantown had been a significant part of her plan to extend the new enclave's influence. Its success was a feather in her own cap, and it would encourage other settlements to move closer to their sphere of influence. Then she remembered the latest intelligence report on the faction calling themselves the New Responders, based out of Flatwoods. Their undercover operative with the group reported that they were planning on opening a new trade route across the Ohio River. More trade meant more resources, which might provide a partial solution to their supply issues. However, she didn't relish the idea of being reliant on trade she couldn't control. Modus, pull up the latest information we have on a group calling themselves the New Responders. Also, let operations know I'll be taking Team Alpha to Morgantown. We have a party to attend, but we have some business to discuss in Flatwoods first. Of course, Colonel. Protect and serve.
In the nearly three years since Vault 76 opened and life began to return to Appalachia, the region known as the forest had changed significantly. Where once feral ghouls and scorched-held sway, small settlements now dotted the landscape, built up around the ruins of the old towns in the area. The town of Flatwoods, one of the first towns repopulated by the denizens of Vault 76, those who didn't follow Captain Edwards north to the Morgantown Airport, had the distinction of seeing a rebirth of one of the original factions in Old Appalachia, the Responders. This group had been made up of simple public servants and citizen volunteers who dedicated their lives to helping others. Like their pre-war counterparts, a responder would run towards danger, not away, and would gladly lay down their lives for their fellow man. Which is exactly what they did when the Scorch flooded out of the Big Bend Tunnel and overran the rest of Appalachia. The last of these brave men and women stood on the banks of the Ohio River at Point Pleasant, holding off the Scorch horde until the last civilians got across the bridge to safety. While they may have fallen, it was what they had left behind, records of their deeds and holotapes, journals and notes, along with their training terminals and gear that inspired those who came after. In Flatwoods itself, it was one man, Connor Johns, now Commander Johns, who took the mantle of Maria Chavez and started the new responders. Formerly the head of physical security for Vault 76, ensuring the integrity of the facility through its 25-year lifespan, he was now using the old responder base in the town church to build a cadre of like-minded individuals, supporting the rebuilding efforts across the forest region. This particular morning, Johns was sitting behind his desk at the back of the converted church, looking over his reports for the past week, nursing a bit of a headache, which did nothing to improve his mood. Ah, uh, too much to do. Damn, not enough time to do it with. Putting the papers back down on his desk, he yelled to the other side of the church. Tom! Get your ass over here! Tom Higgins, one of the earliest new responders and close friend of the commander, replaced the rifle he was cleaning on the wall rack and jogged over in front of John's desk. What's with this latest report from Point Pleasant? I thought we had the situation under control. It's the cultists. Harriet tried to warn them off, but they got all insistent-like. Not violent, at least not at the time. But damn if more of them aren't showing up every day. Been camping up above the town, but we caught a couple of them trying to set up shop in the back of the old Mothman Museum. Sent them packing, but... But what? Harriet figures it's only a matter of time before they move in force. Any civilians in the area? They got spooked and moved out last week. James and his crew escorted them as far as the Aaronhold homestead. Johns glanced over at the map of Appalachia he attacked onto the wall. He had made plans for Point Pleasant. Big plans. The town itself was somewhat intact, though they found evidence of the last stand of the former responders, which had destroyed most of the waterfront, and the bridge had been demolished. But if they could get a ferry going, it would encourage trade from outside the region, and bring in badly needed supplies and resources for the rebuilding effort. But the cultists were no joke either. Heavily armed and fanatical, it didn't pay to get in their way. Luckily, they had kept to themselves and holed up in their makeshift temples, far enough away from their little patch of Appalachia. Until now, that is. Shit. Could you talk to the Sutton folks? Maybe they can help. The overseer was here yesterday. She was? And I missed her? Tom, she wasn't on a sightseeing tour, and wasn't signing autographs either. And before you ask, yes, I did talk to her about our plans. She and that day fellow were supportive, but, uh, you can't make bricks or craft ammo from best wishes. No help at all. Sounds like she's got bigger problems, 
White Spring problems by the sound of it. So what was she doing around here then? Morgantown. Folks up there are throwing some sort of party. Invited most of the bigwigs from all over. <laughs> you too? Edward sent a formal invitation and everything. But he can shove it up his ass as far as I'm concerned. We're down here barely holding things together with bottles of adhesive and bailing wire, while he's sitting pretty up there at the airport. We could have ended up there too, Johns. Yeah, yeah, but this was the responder's home. This is our home now and we have a job to do. And it ain't about power or control, it's about helping. Lots of folks out there are trying to make their own way, and without us, they'd have no chance at all. Johns, you don't need to tell me. I get it. We all do. So, what do you want to do about Point Pleasant? Johns turned and walked back to his desk, opening the top drawer and pulling out a small bottle of aspirin. They didn't have many left, but he took two of the small pills and washed them down with a glass of water before looking back at the map. It's just not worth the risk. And it sure as hell ain't worth our people's lives. Tell Harriet to grab everything she can and pull back to the Alpine River cabins. We'll have to come up with a plan B for the ferry. John's ran his finger down the Ohio until he got to the southern part of the forest. Huh. Is Richard still down at Camp Adams? Sure is. Got a few families settled in, too. Good. Send him a message. Have him go to the old River Adventures Park. Docks might still be intact and could be a good place for our ferry. Will do. Anything else? Yeah. Check on the latest crop of recruits. Might be a good idea to send them down to the old Vault Tech Agriculture Center. I heard the farmhand robots there were acting a little, uh, you know, squirrely. Sure thing. Johns watched Tom leave the church to head across the street to their makeshift training center. He and Tom went way back to their time in Vault 76, and there were few people he trusted more. It hadn't been easy. Hell, it had been rough that first year. But for all the pain and aggravation, they were making a difference. That didn't mean that storm clouds weren't brooding on the horizon, though, threatening everything that they had built. Hmm. The White Spring. John's eyes settled on the map location of the old resort. Before the war, it had been known as one of the most exclusive tourist destinations in the whole region, from movie stars to both current and former presidents and captains of industry. It was the upper crust of society that graced its hallowed halls. Now, however, the resort was something else entirely. There had been rumors of the emergence of some government, Stories of soldiers wearing gray camouflage armor and even advanced suits of power armor spreading their influence across the region. Johns didn't put too much stock into rumors, even when the overseer came calling the first time and told him about this thing she called the New Enclave. And when she mentioned that it was being run by Valeria Faustina, well, that got a laugh out of him. Johns had known her parents in the vault. They'd been military, just like him. Nice enough folks, but kept to themselves mostly. Valeria had been smart, but the leader of anything? Yeah, that was about as likely as a visit by the President of the United States. Then he heard about the bots protecting Morgantown. Had a few volunteers come down from the airport settlement. They were singing the praises of this new enclave and how they swooped in and protected them from super mutants and even brought military robots to keep them safe. And sure enough, the name of Valeria Faustina, now calling herself a colonel, was on everyone's lips. It still might have been funny if the new responders hadn't found themselves face to face with Valeria's troops not too long ago at Greg's Mine Supply just up the road from Helvetia. The so-called soldiers held John's men at gunpoint as they collected the supplies for themselves. What a kick in the teeth. Since then, John's had tried to steer clear of this new enclave, 
but with trouble brewing between them and the overseer, it might only be a matter of time before things erupted into open conflict, and then he might have no choice but to choose a side. Commander Johns! Johns looked away from his map and over to the front of the church. One of the newer recruits, Jeremy Hill, ran in looking for him. Yeah, Jeremy. What is it? Uh, we got visitors. Said they wanted to talk to you. Ah, jeez. Tell them I'm busy. If they want to volunteer, show them to the kiosks, okay? Sir, I mean, Commander, I... They definitely aren't here to volunteer. For the last time, Jeremy, I don't care what they want. If they aren't here to volunteer or otherwise help, I'm busy. Go find Tom. Maybe he's willing to put up with whatever bullshit is going on out there. Okay, Commander. If you say so. Johns rubbed his forehead. The aspirin had done nothing for his headache, and he definitely had better things to do than to entertain guests. Walking over, he sat down behind his desk and picked up another report from his team at Anchor Farm. The folks there were a highly suspicious bunch, but after helping them dig a new well, they were starting to come around. He was halfway through the summary when the front door of the church opened again. God damn it, Jeremy. I said I was busy. Connor Johns. It's been a long time. That voice. Johns put the report down and looked up to see a woman standing in the doorway. She was wearing a set of sleek gray-black armor with a military beret, mirrored sunglasses, and the slightest hint of a grin on her face. Ah, Valeria. Funny seeing you here. What, did they run out of room down at the resort? Or can we offer you somewhere else to stay? Valeria just smiled and walked into the church, followed by two of the troopers, each wearing the same type of armor and scout masks, carrying plasma rifles. Yeah, we don't allow visitors to bring arms into the HQ. I'm gonna have to ask your men to step outside. Johns watched Valeria's smile drop, just for a second, before nodding and motioning to her men. They looked over at Johns before saluting, turned and left. That better? Much. We don't appreciate threats. Overt or otherwise. I'm not here to threaten you, Johns. <laughs> Could have fooled me. Especially after you stole what was rightfully owned by the people of Appalachia. The two were interrupted by a commotion outside. God damn it! Get out of my way, you thugs! This here is our town, not yours! John scowled and pushed Valeria aside, ending up outside to find Tom being restrained by both of Valeria's men. Just what the hell do you think you're doing? Let him go or I'll damn well make you. The camouflage soldiers held onto a struggling Tom and made no move to let him go. Getting ready to take a step forward, Johns was stopped by Valeria, who put her hand on his shoulder and spoke up. Sergeant, let him go. Both soldiers immediately dropped Tom and took a quick step back. Sorry, Colonel. You said you didn't want to be disturbed. Johns looked over to Valeria, who frowned. I did, Sergeant. However, you are the one who created a disturbance. Now apologize and report back to the lieutenant. I will be fine and will be out shortly. Yes, ma'am. Sorry, ma'am. Not to me, Sergeant. Apologize to him. Valeria pointed at Tom, who was still fighting mad. The Sergeant stiffened and turned back to Tom. I am sorry for detaining you inappropriately. Fuck off, thug. Alright, that's enough, Tom. Mind your manners. We're better than that. With the situation diffused, Johns motioned for them to return to the church. He'd underestimated Valeria, and perhaps it was worth hearing what she had to say. Johns took a seat at his desk and had Tom bring Valeria a chair. She sat down and removed her sunglasses. When she looked back up, Johns did a double take. He'd heard the stories, of course, but seeing the scars down her face framing a silver eye was something else in person. Now, before we were interrupted, I believe you were accusing me of stealing from the people of Appalachia? 
As a matter of fact, yes, I was. Correct me if I was misinformed, but my team arrived at the location first, did they not? Sure, but that was our cash. Tom, that's enough. Sorry, Johns. Those supplies belonged to the responders. There were machine tools, materials, and other goods that could have been put to good use around here. The responders are gone. Dead and buried with the rest of old Appalachia. As far as who owns what, those supplies were confiscated by us in the name of the U.S. government. U.S. government? Oh, that's a good one. Ain't no government left, Valeria. Whatever you're pretending to be, it ain't it. Commander... This was the first time that Valeria had referred to him by his title, which immediately put Johns on his guard. I believe we've gotten off on the wrong foot. Whatever you think we are, we have the same goal. It's the same goal that the Overseer herself laid out for us in Vault 76. Our mission is to rebuild Appalachia and then help rebuild the country. You certainly have a funny way of doing it. We defeated the Scorched, Commander. My people are just like your people. We're all from Vault 76. Friends of yours who joined us gave their lives for a greater cause. We've been the shield behind which Appalachia has begun to recover. We are not your enemy. In fact, we're here to help. And how exactly do you intend to do that? And moreover, what is it going to cost? We know that you're trying to build a ferry to connect to settlements across the Ohio. It would bring in substantial trade and resources that we all need. While the Blue Ridge Caravan has been instrumental in re-establishing trade, they are a monopoly at the moment. But you seem to have them in your pocket. Why on earth would you want to bring in more competition? Because it's the American way. And a little competition isn't a bad thing. No, no it's not. However, you said you wanted to help. How so exactly? During a recent expedition down to the Ash Heap, we found a group of intact auto miner construction bots. We have our own at the resort, and we'd be prepared to lend these to you for your ferry project. Miss John's turn to lean back in his chair. He was familiar enough with the old construction bots. They would be handy to have around and would go a long way to rectifying their manpower shortage. However, he suspected that Valeria wasn't doing this out of the goodness of her heart. Well, that's a mighty fine offer. <laughs> Forgive me, though. Uh, what exactly will that cost us? Valeria looked hurt. Commander, you misunderstand. We would be happy to provide these bots to you as a gesture of goodwill. We're all in this together, aren't we? That got a chuckle out of Tom, but a stare from Johns shut him up. Colonel. And this was the first time that Johns used her title as well. I have to say that's a very generous offer. I suspect, though, you'd want something in return, right? As a return gesture of goodwill, we would appreciate equal access to the ferry for our own requirements. Plus... We would need the ability to negotiate our own agreements across the river. As long as it wouldn't interfere with your own, of course. Of course. And if you agree to these extremely generous terms, we can have the bots at your ferry location within a week. Johns had been around the block more than a few times, and he was an excellent judge of character. He'd made a mistake underestimating Valeria. While she might be young, she was certainly more intelligent than he'd give her credit for. Anyone else would have jumped at an offer like Valeria had proposed. At face value, she was offering something of incredible value for very lenient terms and little in return that wouldn't have already been available. Johns never intended to keep the ferry traffic for himself. The ethos of the new responders was to assist and rebuild wherever possible. His plan was to always open the new trade route for everyone. Well, minus the raiders, of course. And the cultists. 
You suspected that Valeria's offer contained hidden strings that would only become known after it was far too late to do anything about it. Well, no one ever said the job was going to be easy, and he was not going to risk everything that they'd built without careful consideration. Colonel, as I said, that is an extremely generous offer. It is. But we're in the process of finding a new site for our project. Due to increased cultist activity at Point Pleasant, we've, uh, been forced to change our plans. That is unfortunate news. Nasty business, too. We've had our own run-ins with the cult. They aren't to be taken lightly. Agreed. And so much as I would like to say yes, and I'm not saying no, mind you. We just need a bit more time. Once again, Valeria put on a pained expression. Johns was impressed as Valeria was doing a very good job of acting the part of the benevolent benefactor. Oh, I completely understand, Commander. As it happens, we're on our way to Morgantown. We'll be there for a bit, but afterwards, of course, we will be coming back through on our way home. I do hope that you'll be in a position to accept our offer of assistance when we return. I hope so too, Colonel. Of course. I won't keep you any longer. I'm sure you're very busy. Plus, the people of Morgantown would be horribly disappointed if we were late to their festivities. Valeria stood up from her chair and put her patrolman sunglasses back on, extending a hand across the desk. Johns put on his best face and stood himself, taking the proffered hand in return. Taking one last moment to measure each other, Valeria turned and walked out, calling to her team. Watching her go, Tom let out a quiet whistle before speaking to Johns. If I hadn't seen it for myself, what's with the, uh, eye and all? Presentation, intimidation, and necessity. You did see those scars, right? Saw and heard the stories. I figure most of them are probably true, or true enough. The Overseer was right. She's dangerous. And this new Enclave and what it represents, even more so. Think she's going to take no for an answer? No, Tom. I do not. Then what are we going to do? I'm not sure yet. I bought us some time. People like her don't ask questions if they don't already know the answer. I need to think about this. Think it through. Talk to some folks. For the moment, nothing changes. We keep moving forward. It's what we do. It's what the responders would do. Sure thing, Johns. Commander Johns watched Tom head out before grabbing the aspirin bottle from the desk again. Appalachia just got more dangerous. He had a feeling it was going to need the new responders. Now more than ever. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now.
nestled deep in the Savage Divide, the spider's web was the rowdiest, bloodiest, and best raider bar in all of Appalachia. The Wayward was considered the kiddie table to most of the hardcore inhabitants of the region. If you were looking for work, didn't care about getting your hands dirty, and didn't want folks asking questions, this was the place for you. Amanda, the owner and operator of the spider's web, was a raider herself. Whether or not X belonged in front of that was up for debate, and as long as you didn't break the rules, kill someone you weren't supposed to, or screw around where you didn't belong, you were welcome at the spider's web. On this particular evening, the bar was quite busy. Semi-finals for the cage fighting tournament were in full swing, with Mad Martin from Crater looking to defend his title against all comers. A group of mercs from up north were angling for work, while downing copious amounts of moonshine in the corner. While the Emmett Mountain Scaver crew was celebrating a successful haul from the old waste disposal site at the bar, the bartender just finished pouring another round before grabbing a bottle of bourbon and heading over to the boss's table. Amanda, per normal habit, was holding court in the center of the floor, digging into deathclaw stakes and exchanging gossip with some of the local raider leaders. I swear, Rosa's off a freaking rocker. She's offering 500 calves to the first raider who can make friends with a deathclaw. Can you believe it? Sure can, Bob. You remember old Pete? Of course. Turns out. Deathclaws don't make friends. Really? You guys are hilarious. You know she's been pulling that routine for a couple of years now, right? Well, Amanda, she's good for a few laughs. Plus, top of the world gang ain't half bad either. Amanda just smiled. If the rest of the raiders knew who was really behind top of the world, they might have had a slightly different opinion. Hey boss, here's your bourbon. Need anything else? Thanks, Charlie. Any shit going on that I should be aware of? Nah, mostly the usual crowd. Carver's been big against Martin. Fix might be in. Check it out. If so, we should get in on that action too. Of course, boss. Anything else? Oh yeah, see that squirrely looking guy in the corner? The one with the straw hat? Yeah? He wanted to know if anyone had seen an astronaut around here. A what? A freaking astronaut. And how much has he had to drink? Not a thing, boss. Been sipping on lemonade since about two hours ago. Huh. Well, if that don't beat all, keep an eye on him, just in case. Amanda gave the man another quick glance before returning to her conversation. The guy seemed harmless enough, wearing old scavenger clothes and that stupid straw hat. He kept looking around the bar before returning to his lemonade. A while later, Amanda was watching them pull Mad Martin out of the fighting pit. Carver was right after all, and this new girl from down Beckley Way had messed him up pretty bad. Charlie was over at the bar, smiling. That was nearly 200 caps they'd made, betting against Martin. Taking another swig from her nearly empty bottle, Amanda heard yelling coming from behind her. She cursed under her breath and turned around to find the biggest guy she'd ever laid eyes on, holding their astronaut searcher against the wall by his neck. Just what the fuck you think you're doing, asshole? Amanda ran up with Charlie close behind. The big man kept one hand around the guy's neck and turned around to look down at Amanda. None of your business. Me and the gentleman here were just having a discussion. Looking over at the man, straw hat lay on the floor and he was struggling to pry the large man's hand off his neck. She could see the fingers squeeze nearly cutting off the man's oxygen supply and preventing him from speaking. Now you listen here, asshole. This is my place, my rules. Seems like he doesn't want to talk to you. Now put him down and you get the fuck out of my bar, you hear? The big man didn't move. Amanda got a better look at him. He was no raider. That was readily apparent. Must have been almost seven feet tall, built like a brick shithouse with piercing eyes and a deadpan expression, with some kind of weird accent. 
Gonna give you to the count of three, big guy. I got no problem scattering pieces of you all around the bar if I gotta. Charlie reached into his waistband for the 10mm pistol he kept ready for situations like this. One. Two. The sound of a gunshot interrupted Amanda, and before she could even react, the man had drawn his own pistol from under his cloak and shot Charlie in the shoulder before aiming the gun directly at Amanda's face. And I have no problem killing you if I have to. Now, I will be leaving with my... guest. And I suggest you get out of my way and take care of your man there. Amanda felt the rage building when she noticed something about the pistol aimed at her. A little detail that she'd seen before on another pistol she had become extremely familiar with. She could sense the rest of the bar getting antsy. The regulars didn't take kindly to anyone who messed with Amanda. And fuck, the guy shot Charlie. You do not shoot the bartender. Ever. Instead, Amanda held up her hand. Alright, you made your point. Fuck you and the Brahmin you rode in on. You know what? You owe me for the mess. Fifty caps. And never show your fucking face in here again. Savvy? The big man just smirked. The pistol never wavered, but he dropped the other man onto the floor, leaving him gasping for breath and swearing. Without saying a word, he dropped a bag of caps onto the table, and then wrapped his arm around the man. The pistol disappeared beneath his cloak, and he walked out of the door like he owned the place, pushing the man in front of him out into the night. Amanda exhaled, and the bar erupted in anger. Somebody get Doc in here! Goddamn motherfucker! That hurts! What the hell was that all about? I don't know, Charlie, but I've seen that pistol before. Maybe not that exact one, but one just like it. Huh? Doc, get over here and take care of Charlie. Amanda watched as the doctor administered a stim pack and wrapped up Charlie's arm. He'd have trouble tending bar for a bit, but she'd sure he'd play the sympathy card to make it all up in tips. But her mind was back on that pistol. The whole situation stunk to high heaven and Amanda wasn't going to sit back and let someone mess with what was hers. She needed answers. Luckily, she knew who she could ask. Hey, Tommy? Yeah, boss? I need you to get a message to Foundation. Tell Cindy we need to talk. Tell her it's important. Sure thing, boss. Watching Tommy head back to the office, Amanda figured Cindy would know what was going on. The big man was from the White Spring. She was sure of it. But what the hell was he doing all the way out here? And what did he want with that scaver? All right, folks, show's over. Next round's on the house. The sounds in the bar slowly returned to normal. Just another night at the spider's web. Or so everyone thought. Keep moving! Just who the hell are you and what do you want? I wasn't bothering anyone. And you shot that man! What is going on here? You're Dr. William Emerson, aren't you? How did you... Not exactly keeping a low profile, are you, Doctor? I was expecting you to be so much harder to find. I wasn't hiding. No, you weren't. A shame, really. I was looking forward to a bit more sport, mate, but that's not my call. What do you want? Information, Doctor. The details of Project Deep Sleep. How do you know about that? We know enough. Enough to find you. 
However, we have many more questions. We expect that you'll want to help us. And why would I do that? Because we have Commander Daguer. She's alive? Very much so. Hmm, where is she? Don't worry about that, Doctor. First, however, you'll tell us all about Deep Sleep. And who is we, exactly? You'll see soon enough. Keep moving. Hi, I'm Firewriter, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. It was a momentous day in Appalachia. The burgeoning Morgantown Airport settlement was holding a grand celebration in honor of a name change and its success in the beginning of rebuilding the region, the very mission its residents had been given upon leaving Vault 76 over two years before. The original barricades were adorned with red, white, and blue streamers, and the whole settlement was a bustle of activity as the residents put the finishing touches on their decorations, food for the upcoming banquet, and the settlement council was rehearsing their speeches on the new stage built specifically for the event. Mayor Edwards, formerly captain, strolled along the old runway, now called Main Street, which was lined with new shops and market stalls, selling goods collected from all over Appalachia, and even some rare items brought in from outside of the region. Edwards reached back to scratch his shoulder. He'd replaced his old fatigues with a patched tweed suit and a tie to go with the new position, but it still itched, despite delousing by the local laundry. Good morning, Mayor. They'd always been a close-knit community where everyone knew each other, at first, they'd all been former Vault 76 residents, so it was like living with one big family. After the people started returning to the region, there had been an influx of new faces. Despite a few incidents at first, everyone saw the advantages of growth and the settlement had come together and helped expand beyond the boundaries of the old airport. Hey, Mayor. Good to see you. Edwards looked over and tipped his hat and smiled at Tony, one of their resident ghouls, an unofficial leader of their small but growing ghoul community. He ran the best scrap shop in the settlement, and Edwards felt lucky to have him. His wife Cynthia managed the back end of the shop while Tony ran the counter. At first, Edwards had been leery about accepting ghouls into the settlement. All they knew at the time was that ferals still roamed the area, including those infesting most of Morgantown. It was Colonel Valeria who'd spoken with him directly, making the case that ghouls were still people, still Americans, and that they'd need all the hands that they could muster to rebuild. The integration process hadn't been easy. As chief security officer, he'd been forced to have some harsh words with some of the other residents when the ghouls first arrived. But over time, even the naysayers finally came around, especially after Bob, their resident ghoul mechanic, managed to approve the efficiency of their industrial water purifiers by over 50%. Now you'd be able to walk the settlement and see ghoul traders, craftsmen, and even had their first ghoul join the local security force. 
Edwards made a note to speak to Tony about the celebration, to make sure he didn't want to say a few words himself as part of the speeches. Edwards passed from the marketplace over into the new light industrial area and town workshop. When they first arrived, the old hangars had been turned into workspaces by a group known as the Responders. As their settlement grew, Jason Barron had worked tirelessly to build out the hangars into true small factories, to produce the products and materials needed to survive, then thrive in the new environment. One of their major accomplishments was becoming fully self-sufficient in the production of small arms ammunition. On a scavenger run up north, one of Jason's teams had come across an old ammo factory. They hadn't been able to bring everything back, but they got just enough so Jason could build their own little ammunition fabricator. Jason himself monitored the whole area from his office at the top of the old control tower. He lined the walls with production charts, resource management calculations, and drawings of new and better machines and facilities he planned on building. Edwards looked up and saw Jason leaning over the railing. He waved, caught Jason's attention, and saw him wave back before going back inside. As he kept walking, Edwards entered the old quarantine area. This is where the responders had been working on a vaccine for the Scorch Plague, and also where they held those who had been infected at the time. It had taken quite a bit of work, but the new settlers had finally cleared out the whole area and turned it into their very own medical center. They had constructed several new buildings out of leftover shipping containers, and even converted an old wrecked commercial airplane into a walk-in clinic. Between the original vaccine they found at AVR Medical down in Charleston, and the new inoculation, in a Nuka-Cola bottle no less, they had been spared the ravages of the scorched plague. Now they mostly dealt with other regular diseases of the wasteland, and the typical wounds, cuts, abrasions, and broken bones. Beyond that, Edwards came to the former boundary of the original settlement. They still had a small gate, mostly for just checking in merchants and caravans, but they had built up a residential section last year on the other side, bordering the river. The houses had gone from simple shacks to more permanent metal structures. He had to dodge out of the way as a group of kids ran by, playing tag. Normally, they'd be in school, but today was a settlement holiday. Edwards walked down the path in between the houses until he came to the one he was looking for. It was a well-put-together cabin, along with a tendril of smoke coming up from the chimney. He knocked on the metal door and could hear a baby start crying inside. Edward cringed a little, expecting a bit of an explosion. When the door opened, and he was greeted by the sight of their local school teacher and principal, Melissa holding a crying baby. Oh, Mr. Mayor, I thought you might be those kids again. They've been a menace today. I'm sorry to bother you, Melissa. I didn't realize the baby was sleeping. Actually, I was hoping that your husband was around. <laughs> he wouldn't leave me or little Shelly alone. I finally had to kick him out of the house. Said he was going to head over to the university, but would be back within the hour. Uh, well, I'm not going to run after him. Can you please remind your loving husband that we need him to be on time today? He'll be there, or I'll give him a weapon. I don't doubt it. Great looking baby you got there. School back in session tomorrow? You betcha. I had all the kids work on essays about the celebration. We'll see how that turns out. At least it isn't the goat tests, right? I, for one, am not sad to see that old Vault-Tec rubbish put out to pasture. Edwards patted the baby's head, winked at Melissa, and headed back towards the airport. So much to do, so little time. He checked his pip boy. Damn, he thought. The others would be looking for him as they finished preparations. As Edward retraced his steps, he thought back to the election they held. The council had been debating for quite some time on what their next steps were going to be. Just for the sake of safety and security, the council had been in charge since they had settled at the airport. But as they expanded, people started asking about having elections and establishing a real government. Hand in hand with that, they wanted to give their little town a new name. 
It had been quite the debate, but soon after Sergeant Muller cleared out the old Waltec campus with his men, it hit them what the name should be. Fortuitously, about the same time, they got a surprise visit from the Overseer. Most of them had given up hope of ever seeing her again. There had been rumors that she'd reappeared and was living down in Sutton, but they'd been too wrapped up in their own expansion to pay much attention to people telling stories. But sure enough, they had a caravan arrive from down south, and the Overseer was with them. When Edward saw her, she looked a little bit older, but she still had that innate optimism he saw every day in Vault 76. She was with a younger man named Day. The Overseer called him her Shadow, and he definitely looked like someone who could hold his own in a fight. She had been excited to see how far they'd come, and she apologized for not coming sooner. When she saw the security bots, her smile turned into a bit of a frown, and Day seemed to bristle seeing them patrolling the perimeter. Before either of them could say anything, they were mobbed by the Vault 76 residents when she found out they were there. It had turned into a bit of a celebration that lasted for hours. When Edwards was finally able to get her alone, the Overseer explained that she needed to get over to BTU. She was helping the folks down at Foundation, and there was some information on campus that would be of great help. He let her know that they had just cleared the campus and were planning on repurposing some of the buildings there to help out their settlement, but that he would be happy to give her access. The Overseer had finally asked about the bots. Edwards had nothing to hide and told her all about Valeria and the good that she had done in helping them when they needed it the most. Edwards thought the Overseer might be angry, but if she was, she hid it pretty well. Instead, she congratulated him and the rest of the residents on taking their lessons to heart and the mission they'd been given after leaving Vault 76. Before she and Day had left for BTU, she did ask a rather odd question. You haven't seen Lilith Alistair, have you? Now that was a name that Edwards hadn't even thought about for well over a year. No. I mean, there have been stories that people tell, real campfire stuff, but no. Both Day and the Overseer had looked at each other, then dropped the conversation. After that, the two of them thanked Edwards for his hospitality and left for the campus. The question about Lilith disturbed him. He remembered what happened the day Lilith's parents died, and what both he and the Overseer suspected had actually happened. Then there were the stories, sometimes with a name, sometimes not, but as far as he knew, that's all they were. But with all the monsters running around Appalachia, he'd put it out of his mind. Soon after, their settlement had held their first real election. Edwards hadn't won to run for mayor, but the council insisted. No one had done more for their community than Edwards, in their opinion. Since no one else was running against him, it was a simple yes or no vote, and he insisted that if he didn't receive a clear majority of the yes votes, he wouldn't take the job. Of course, it had been nearly unanimous, so he traded in his combat fatigues for a suit and tie, and sometimes he wasn't sure which was worse. Of the original council members, only Melissa refused to stand for election. She had finally married Sergeant Muller and had her baby, and was the new principal of their expanded school. A relative newcomer, Nicholas Shea, a traveling merchant who set up shop at the settlement, had put his name forward and been elected handily. Nick was a good guy, a bit standoffish at time, but he was a fair trader and seemed to know everyone who was anyone in the new caravans traveling across Appalachia. He also spoke for a number of the other newcomers, and that helped alleviate some of the tension between the two groups when it did arise. It took some getting used to getting called mayor. His first official act had been to promote Larry Johnson to the head of the settlement security. He had worked extremely hard at his job, and... Larry had a great relationship with Sergeant Muller as well. Between them, the settlement hadn't suffered a serious attack in months, and they'd successfully cleared most of Morgantown as well. Since then, there had been negotiations over caravan rates, taxes on goods, and of course opening up more trade with other settlements, including both Crater and Foundation. There had been a lot of debate over working with Crater. They were still raiders, but Colonel Valeri had personally vouched for them, which was enough to put the vote over the top. And surprisingly, 
Meg turned out to be quite the diplomat. She even came down once for a visit. The raiders were a little rambunctious, and seeing a super mutant carrying a small child into the settlement was unsettling at first, until they helped organize the largest game of hide-and-seek any of them had ever seen with all the other children. That was quite something. Edwards finally shook away the memories and focused on the here and now. He wanted to go check on his guests of honor. The overseer had arrived the day before with Lieutenant Day and a group of other folks from Sutton, all former Vault 76ers. They had set up at a small camp just outside the old Morgantown train yard. Colonel Valeria had arrived just this morning with a team of her own. She had never failed to impress. She'd come a long way from a withdrawn young girl he knew in the vault. Counting an impressive figure in her dress uniform, she had led a small procession through the main gate. When Valeria was told that the overseer was also in attendance, her eyes had gotten cold. But she still managed to smile and said she was looking forward to seeing her again. Edwards was no fool. He knew that there was tension there. But in a way he understood. To Valeria, the overseer represented the past, where she believed that she was the future. Edward was torn himself. He never liked the idea of conflict, especially among the folks from 76. But if he was forced to choose a side, he'd do what was best for his people. But that was for some other day. Today it was a celebration of life and a renewal for all of them. Edwards walked up to the old airport terminal building, which had been repurposed as the new town hall. They managed to scrap the crashed vertebrate on the roof and haul it away, and fix the place up to look a lot nicer than it had been when they first arrived. Larry had asked for a small conference room to do a bit of paperwork and prepare before the celebration started, which he was happy to provide. Edwards opened the door to the conference room and found Valeria had company. Oh, sorry. Didn't know you were with someone. He looked at the two. It was the Colonel and Eugenie, their now regular arms merchant. And had they been holding hands? Nah, he must have been imagining it. Valeria might just have looked a little bit flustered, but she smiled. It's no problem, Mr. Mayor. Eugenie and I were just discussing other matters. <laughs> well, I need to get a move on. As always, it's a pleasure to see you, Colonel. Edward swore he saw Valeria blush. But then again, it was probably just a trick of the light. Oh, m Mr. Mayor, I'll catch you later to talk about the next shipment. That's great, Eugenie. Wonderful to see you as always. Edward shook her hand and watched her leave. Valeria sat back down in the chair. What can I do for you? Edward sat down at the other end of the table. Just wanted to touch base with you before the speeches this afternoon. We owe you a huge debt of gratitude. I know the town can't wait to hear what you have to say. It has been a pleasure, Mr. Mayor. No, please. It's just Edwards. A formal title isn't necessary between friends. Okay, Edwards. I have a short speech prepared, but this is really your day, and I promise not to bore the crowd. Edwards laughed. He would never consider Valeria to be boring. Quite the contrary, she could be very persuasive and passionate when talking about the future. I know you'll do fine. Wanted to let you know that the overseer will be speaking before you. Hope that's okay. For the briefest of moments, Valeria's eyes went cold, but then brightened again. No problem at all. There were a few other items that Edwards wanted to talk to her about. They were finalizing their contract with the Blue Ridge Caravan and gave a copy to Valeria for review. And a new group of young people were interested in joining the new enclave. He hoped that Valeria would be able to speak to them after the ceremony. Valeria took notes as they spoke, promising to both review the contract and speak to the potential recruits as well. Afterwards, Edwards thanked her again and left the building. People were starting to congregate in front of the new stage. 
the merchants had closed up shop for the day, and though there were still a few vendors selling food and refreshments along the edge of the crowd, the council members were climbing up onto the stage to take their places. Edwards looked over the crowd and saw Sergeant Muller walking over carrying a very special item for their celebration. It was wrapped up, and he couldn't wait for the unveiling. To the side, there was cheering as the overseer entered, followed closely by Day. She waved to the crowd and climbed up onto the stage. She was wearing her standard Vault 76 jumpsuit, modified with bits of armor and a leather jacket. She seemed to be beaming as she looked over the crowd of people in the growing settlement. Then the cheering was joined on the other side as Colonel Valeria walked through the crowd. She looked impressive in her pressed military dress uniform and cap. Edwards had taken the precaution of putting them on opposite ends of the stage, but ever the diplomat, Valeria got up to the stage and walked directly over to the overseer and extended her hand. Well, this ought to be interesting. The overseer hesitated for a moment, then took the offered hand. Valeria leaned in and said something, which couldn't be heard over the noise of the crowd, but the overseer's face dropped, but quickly returned to what appeared to be a forced smile. Then Valeria returned to her designated chair. That was his cue. Edwards got up on the stage to the thunderous applause of the crowds. Edwards walked up to the podium and put up his hand to quiet the crowd. When they had finally gotten quiet again, he put his prepared speech in front of him and started speaking. Two years ago, Vault 76 opened and the residents entered a new Appalachia, very different from what any of us expected. Those first few weeks were very difficult as we struggled to make sense of this new world and find a way to survive. A group of us followed the messages left by the overseer and found ourselves here at the Morgantown Airport. At one time, the survivors of Appalachia and a group known as the Responders tried to build a life for themselves here. Unfortunately, the scorched plague took them all. However, they left knowledge and resources that we could use to survive, including work on a vaccine that would prevent the spread of this plague. It was our mission to pick up where they left off, and our mission to help rebuild this great nation. And so we made this our home. We planted crops, we scavenged, and we built. Over those first months, we lost loved ones and friends. We found new dangers and fought to stem the time of darkness. But in time, we came together as a community built from the spirit of Vault 76, and our settlement survived. Many former 76ers came here as they heard of our success, and we continued to build. We found new allies. Edwards nodded to Valeria. And with their help, we became even more secure and new opportunities for us to grow presented themselves. And then, people started returning to Appalachia. Most were good, hard-working people just looking to start a new life. And we welcomed them with open arms. Then we found non-feral ghouls who asked to join our community as well. At first, it was hard to put aside the prejudice, but we found a way to work together. And we can be proud that they are considered our fellow citizens, our friends, our family. 
we still are faced with numerous challenges. Blood eagles, cultists, and the monsters which still infest the region are just part of what we will have to endure. But in the spirit of this country, of Vault 76, and of our community, we shall prevail. Today, we honor the living, we honor the dead, and we honor our hearts and souls which have made this day possible. Through democracy, trade, and our beliefs, we will continue to grow and be a shining beacon of hope to not only this region, but elsewhere, that this nation shall not perish from the earth. And as a sign of our future, we've decided that the time has come for our community to have a new name. We are no longer a simple settlement, but a thriving community of equals. And my friends, my family. On cue, Sergeant Muller handed Edwards the canvas covering. Welcome to Vault Town. Edwards unfurled the new flag, designed to be a combination of the vault University logo, which so dominated Morgantown before the war and harkened back to their Vault 76 roots, surrounded by the 13 stars of the American Commonwealth. The crowd erupted into wild cheers, with hats thrown up in the air and friends and family embracing each other and crying tears of joy. After several minutes, Edwards finally raised his hand once again. For this occasion, we felt it was fitting to have the overseer here today and say a few words to all of us. Edwards stepped back as the overseer got up from her seat and walked over to the podium. She took off her glasses and wiped tears from her eyes before speaking to the crowd. My fellow Vault 76ers and those who have joined us from afar, I can't tell you how happy I am to see you all thriving. For 25 years, the residents of Vault 76 prepared for Reclamation Day. And when that day came, Appalachia was a shock to all of us. But we survived. You survived. You came together and have built something which will endure. As your mayor so eloquently said, there are still many challenges ahead of us. But when we cast aside doubt, fear, and pain, we can achieve great things. I am so proud of all of you. It was an honor to have been the overseer of Vault 76. I was never able to have children of my own, so you became my family. But like any good parent, there comes a time when the children must leave the nest and make lives of their own. The future belongs to you. Make it a good one. Thank you. Many in the crowd, those who remembered their time in Vault 76, cried as they cheered. Edwards went up to the overseer and gave her a hug before escorting her back to her seat. He then walked back up to the podium. Residents of Vault Town, I now introduce Colonel Valeria Faustina. Many of us remember her from the vault, but we have come to know her as not only a friend of Vault Town, but a representative of the future as well. There was a steady applause as Valeria rose to take the podium. First, I'd like to thank the Overseer, for without her guidance, we wouldn't be here today. The Overseer nodded, but also understood the double meaning of the phrase. She knew that Valeria blamed Valtek, and her specifically, for the death of her parents. 
Today, I stand proudly in front of a group of true Americans. It is within you, your spirit and courage, upon which we will rebuild this great land. After losing so much, we have all taken those first steps to restoring the glory of our nation. Appalachia is still rife with danger. While the scorched are no longer the apocalyptic plague they once were, we still face threats from the super mutants, ferals, anarchist raiders, and the cult. Try as they might to threaten our efforts, we will fight and we will defeat them. My father taught me a very important lesson. The price of freedom is high. One must be willing to pay, sometimes to give it all, and do what is necessary to protect our way of life. Our new enclave will stand with you. We represent an ideal which will continue to spread as more communities embrace the future. A future of trade, of democracy, of the high ideals of our forefathers. Together, we will stand against the darkness and eradicate those who would threaten our lives and our freedoms. God bless Vault Town. God bless the new enclave, and God bless America. The crowd erupted once again, and Valeria smiled. She then saluted the Vault Town flag and returned to her seat. When she passed Edwards, he clapped her on the shoulder and whispered into her ear. Wow, that was great. Thank you. The other council members got up and each said a few words before Edwards gave the signal and fireworks were launched from the barricades, exploding in a shower of red, white, and blue sparklers. Afterwards, Edwards led the procession to the new town flagpole, where the vault town flag was officially flown for the first time. Muller was there with Melissa, cuddling their baby and crying together. And the ghoul community was mixing and mingling with everyone too, taking joy in the occasion and feeling like they had a future as well. Valeria was very satisfied. The investment in the town had paid dividends, and its continued growth would be a beacon of hope for the rest of Appalachia. It also provided much-needed support to the new enclave. While the overseer continued to be a thorn in her side, it didn't change the fact that she was the past, while the new enclave was the future. Their influence would continue to grow, and the excessive vault town had shown them the way. A judicious dose of diplomacy offers of protection and promotion of trade would ease their expansion. And while her plans unfolded, Valeria would figure out how to deal with the Overseer and her allies at Foundation. She saw the Overseer speaking with Day. Lieutenant Cindy had uncovered information about some big project they were working on. Day was a clever boy, far too clever. Despite what the Overseer had threatened, perhaps a little should pay Day a visit. The party continued for several hours. There was plenty of food, beverages, and more as the whole town celebrated. Valeria figured there would be more than a few hangovers in the morning. Per usual, she nursed an old possum as she exchanged pleasantries with the other council members. Muller and Melissa had retired early to get their baby in bed. As much as Valeria hated to lose someone who had been an integral part of her team, she was happy that after two decades in the wasteland, Muller had found his home. She'd still get a chance to see him tomorrow before she started the trek back south. Part of her relished the return to Flatwoods. Valeria expected that Johns was going to refuse her offer of help. Probably not directly offering up a litany of excuses as to why they weren't ready. These new responders were idealists, but Johns was also a realist. Valeria had other cards to play, and eventually she'd bring him around. And if not, well, accidents happened all the time in the wasteland. Valeria was deep in thought when she felt a hand on her shoulder. Hey there, Val. It was Eugenie, holding a Blackwater brew. Valeria turned and smiled and maybe blushed a little. Jeannie, I've missed you. 
one hell of a speech. All of them, even. Seeing a place like this gives me hope that places like our compound won't always be needed. Thanks. It's part of the job, but I meant it when I said this is for everyone. Eugenie's eyes teared up a bit. Give me here for a second. Eugenie took Valeria by the hand and led her to a small alcove behind the barricades, away from prying eyes. She pressed Valeria against the wall and leaned in to kiss her. It had been so long since Eugenie had felt this way about anyone, and it felt good. The two kissed deeply. Valeria didn't care what Eugenie looked like, because she thought that she was beautiful. She pulled her close and just enjoyed being with her. After what seemed like forever, Valeria broke the kiss and looked into Eugenie's eyes. You're really good at that. Do you have to leave tomorrow? Yeah, I need to get back. Eugenie had a very mischievous smile on her face. But you're here tonight. She had a very unique ability to get Valeria flustered. You're so cute when you blush. I'll be checking on my Brahmin. Come find me when you're done. Eugenie leaned in again and kissed her lips, her cheek, and then her neck, before taking her hand and leading Valeria back out to the party. It was hard for Valeria to concentrate, but she did the final rounds to thank everyone and show her face. Edwards came over and gave her a huge hug, thanking her again for everything and hoping that she'd be back soon. He mentioned that they found an old robobrain in the basement of the old tattoo parlor downtown. It appeared to have been programmed with all kinds of alcoholic recipes, including some that no one had ever heard of before. They were hoping to set up a new bar to rival even the wayward. Lieutenant Sampson worked his way through the thinning crowd and checked in with the colonel. She told him that both he and the rest of Team Alpha had the night off. She'd be fine, and they would rendezvous at 0700 for Chow and Prep to return to the White Spring. He saluted and thanked the colonel, before returning to his men. Valeria was still getting used to the new Team Alpha, but Samson was a good man and one hell of a fighter. They were lucky to have him. Valeria grabbed one of the last beers from the table and popped it open on the side. She looked around Valtown and felt a sense of pride. This is what she had been working towards. The more settlements they could build and support, the stronger the new enclave would become. Eventually, they'd pacify all of Appalachia and then be able to look beyond its borders. But that might be in the far future, years from now. However, they had to start somewhere. There were a few people left in the main square and it was getting late. Valeria didn't want to keep Eugenie waiting too long. She took another swing of beer, adjusted her cap, and started walking towards the far side of the runway, where the caravanners kept their Brahmin. It was pretty dark, with only a few set of cage lights strung up to see by. It was also incredibly quiet. Valeria looked up and could see the sliver of the moon and the stars spread across the sky. Walking a bit further, she felt something that wasn't quite right. It was a different kind of quiet now. The purposeful kind. To her left, there was a flicker of a lighter, and she could see the burning end of a cigarette, followed by the sound of a single person clapping. Really good show. For a minute there, I almost believed you. Damn it, she thought. It was the overseer's pet, Day. Valeria was reaching for her sidearm when she heard not just one, but multiple safeties being toggled. As Valeria's eyes adjusted, she could see the outlines of Day, plus several others. She assumed they were the men who came with the overseer. I'd recommend you keep your hands where we can see them. Once again, your theatrics were very impressive. I wonder if the people around here have any idea what you really get up to in your little bunker. And if they did... What kind of welcome you receive? Valeria kept her hand away from her holster, but she took another drink from the bottle with the other. We do what is necessary. You may not like it, but we get results. And today, that result is a vault town. 
But at what cost, Valeria? Just what have you done, and how many people got hurt as a result? Overseer? So not just sending out your rabble to do your dirty work? Funny, you never struck me as someone who got their own hands dirty. You were perfectly content to throw the rest of us to the wolves after Reclamation Day, weren't you? Larry enjoyed taunting her and could sense that the words hurt, even if she couldn't see the overseer's face. You and your kind are wolves in sheep's clothing. Worse, you are a growing cancer, infecting the region. I've watched the good that you've done, but all in the name of power and control. You speak of freedom, but it will come with its own chains. Your chains. People in glass houses, overseer. You, of all people, should understand. It's always about control. My parents told me quite a lot about Vault Tech. Should we talk about Vault 111? 75? 11? 95? Please don't get sanctimonious with me. I had wanted to give you a chance, Valeria. Even Day believed there might have been hope for you. But you've become too dangerous. You and Lilith aren't just a threat to us, but a threat to everyone. Didn't appreciate my message, Overseer? Valeria smirked, not caring if the Overseer couldn't see her face in the dark. That was a mighty fine trick, passing that information to the Blood Eagles and leading Lilith into a trap. You tried to kill her, but lucky for both of us, Lilith is a lot harder to kill than that. Valeria finished the rest of her beer and threw the bottle to the side. I can appreciate what you did and why, Overseer. In fact, I probably would have done the same thing if I was in your shoes. But Lilith is part of my family. Just be glad I still need you. You're still alive because a living, breathing Overseer is better than a martyr. And people will eventually figure out what you've done. What vault has done. Let's just do it. I'm sorry, Valeria, but it has to be this way. Valeria could hear the men raise and cock their weapons. That trick you pulled at the Nuka-Cola plant taught me the dangers of underestimating you. Your false sense of moral superiority will be your downfall. Modus? The silence of the night was broken by the sound of the Saltron's head laser opening, and the darkness revealed the glowing of charging plasma. Colonel, we are fully charged and prepared to fire. You're on my property now, Overseer. Are you prepared to die here, today? You won't survive either. And neither will you, Day. If one's cause is just, then death is but a small matter. But I'm tired, and I don't want these folks to have to clean up one hell of a mess. Go back to Sutton, Overseer. We can all try to kill each other another day. Valeria didn't bother to wait for an answer. She turned and walked past the Assaultron heading back on her way. Day turned to the Overseer, then back to the Assaultron. We recommend that you heed the Colonel's advice. We will be happy to escort you back to your camp. The Overseer frowned and put her hand on Day's shoulder. He swore under his breath and lowered his weapon. The others did the same. The Assaultron, remotely controlled by Modus himself, followed the Overseer's party back to their camp by the train station, and stood guard to ensure good behavior. Valeria took a deep breath as she walked. It was a good thing she had Modus join her. It had only been a precaution, but one of his unique abilities was to use their bots in the field as his own ears and eyes. Like a protective parent, 
he'd had one of the resident security bots close to Valeria the entire time, keeping just enough distance not to draw unwanted attention. When Valeria got back to the Whitespring, she'd need to consider their options. If the Overseer was going to take more active steps to interfere with their plans, they would need to figure out a way to neutralize her, without alienating those who still thought she walked on water. Valeria was serious when she said she preferred a live Overseer she could discredit, but if necessary, she would kill her and burn Sutton to the ground. As she walked the last distance to the Brahmin pens, she could see Eugenie refilling the hay trough. Valeria could feel her heart beating a bit faster. She put aside her thoughts of work or plans. It had been a long day, and almost getting killed helped keep things in perspective. Life in the wasteland could be brutal and short, but if you had something to live for, you needed to make the most of it while you could. Eugenie turned around when she heard the footsteps behind her. Perfect timing. Just finishing up here. The ghoul walked over and washed her hands in a nearby bucket of water before leaving the pen. Are you okay? You look, well, a little out of sorts. Yeah, I just had to take care of something. It's fine, really. Eugenie put her hand on Valeria's face, then squeezed her arm. I bet you're tired. It has been a long day. Jeannie, I... well... Just come with me. It'll be alright. She took Valeria by the hand and walked her back to her camp. It was nice and private, just outside the new town limits. There was a tent, a small fire pit, and even a table instead of chairs. Home sweet home. Well, <laughs> away from home. It's... It's not much, but it's mine. Then Eugenie stepped up to Valeria and put her arms around her. And tonight, it's ours. The colonel forgot all about the overseer, about Modus, and everything else just to concentrate on the here and now. Eugenie took off Valeria's cap and glasses, laying them on the table. She brushed the hair out of her eyes and stroked Valeria's face with a gleam in her eye. Valeria was just about to say something when Eugenie put a finger to her lips, leaned over to blow out the lantern then led Larry by the hand to her tent. I say I'll move the mountains And I'll move the mountains If he wants them out of the way Crazy calls me Hi, everyone. I'm Chris. And I'm not! We're not doing that routine right now. We're trying to do an advertisement. Oh, fine. I'm Sir Aloysius Pernicious, the better half of the team at One Wall Comedy. Okay, I wouldn't go that far. Anyway, come check us out on YouTube. We're your number one source for independent sketch comedy on the internet. Yeah, because that's such a big market. All right, come on. Let's get out of here. I'm getting paid for this, right? Don't push your luck. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, 
Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the Enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Colonel Valeria Faustina, Teresa Rule as the Orderly and Morgantown Settler, Ray Middleton as Commander Johns, Josh Smith as Tom, Rob Cunningham as Jeremy, Lucy Middleton as Amanda, Daniel Hawthorne as Lieutenant Shadow, Chris Smith from One Wall Comedy as the Rude New Enclave Soldier, Raider Number 1, Raider Number 2, Tommy, and Dr. William Emerson. Austin Rogers as Bartender Charlie, Vitriol Plays as Melissa, Penal Pineapple as Tony the Ghoul, Firewriter as Eugenie, Ryan Nagrin as Day, Wendy Novosensky as The Overseer, and Brad Williams as Captain Reynolds, Mayor Edwards, and the voice of Modus. And a shout out to the Apocalyptic Aristocracy Discord, home to a great group of fellow creators, the Robots Radio Podcast Community and the rest of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, the Fallout 50 New Responders Community Group, and Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist, who provided the wonderful character artwork you can find on our website. Finally, a very special thank you to the entire Fallout 76 community. We are so very happy to be part of it. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode, Early Warnings. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave.